Section 20 of The Romance of Polar Exploration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Romance of Polar Exploration by G. Firth Scott. Chapter 17. The Swedish Expedition. The expedition to explore the land laying in the Antarctic region to the south of South America, which, under the international arrangement of 1895, was allotted to Sweden, was placed under the command of Professor Otto Nordenskjöld, with whom was associated Professor Johan Andersson, both members of Swedish universities. The steam-bark Antarctica, Captain C. A. Larsen, who had already had considerable experience in the polar regions, was selected as the vessel in which the expedition was to proceed to the field of operations. The original plan was for the expedition to leave Europe in 1901, and to be back in Sweden by May 1903. The detailed plan was to leave Sweden as early as possible in the autumn of 1901 for the South Shetlands, whence the vessel was to go to the east coast of the land known to lie to the south of those islands. Penetrating as far to the south as possible, a station was to be established at any convenient point, and a party of six left there, with the necessary stores, apparatus, and equipment to spend the winter, while the ship was to return north to the Falkland Islands and spend the winter with the remainder of the expedition carrying out scientific investigations at Tierra del Fuego and South Georgia. On the arrival of spring, the Antarctica was to pick up the members of the expedition who might be in Tierra del Fuego and South Georgia, and proceed south to the winter station, take on board the members who had passed the winter there, and return at once to Sweden. Unfortunately for the successful carrying out of the plans, the summer of 1902-1903 in the Antarctic regions was the coldest and the worst for ice conditions that had ever been recorded, and the expedition, instead of being able to carry out the plans laid down, experienced, instead, a series of unexpected happenings which was fatal to the exact working out of detail, but was rich in exciting and romantic episode. The frozen south, like the frozen north, will not yield the secrets to the first comer who demands them. The resources of the ice world, at either pole, are too vast to be overcome without a fierce and prolonged struggle. Instead of one winter, the Swedish expedition spent two in the ice region, while during the second all the members of it were living on the ice, though as three separate parties, each within a few miles of the other, and all more or less ignorant of the proximity of their comrades. The peculiar circumstances under which they became separated, their experiences during that time, and the dramatic manner in which they were reunited and rescued, will form the chief incidents of the following pages. Leaving Sweden on the 17th of October 1901, the Antarctica proceeded to South America, where, at the request of the Argentine government, a representative of that country, in the person of Lieutenant Sobral of the Navy, joined the expedition. In return for this courtesy, the Argentine government offered to do all it could to assist the expedition. How magnificently it carried out its promise will be seen later. Early in January, the ship was amongst the ice, making her way as fast as she could to the neighborhood of Erebus and Terror Gulf, where it was hoped a suitable site would be found for the winter station. The state of the ice, however, was not favorable to this scheme, and by the time Seymour Island was sighted, it was evident that there was little chance of working into more southern latitudes. 
Nearly ten years before, Captain Larsen had visited this island, and had taken from its specimens of fossil wood and mollusks the first fossils ever discovered in the Antarctic. Before landing on it, and seeking for more geological specimens, the leader determined to try whether there was any chance of penetrating to the south from a more westerly longitude. The ship was turned on to a westerly course, and kept on it until the beginning of February, but as no opening was to be seen through the ice to the south, her head was turned to the east once more, and she returned to the neighbourhood of Seymour Island. On the 10th of February, the vessel was in Sydney Herbert Bay, which formed the hitherto unvisited part of Erebus and Terror Gulf. As it was obviously impossible to get further to the south, Nordenskjold decided to establish the winter station on one of the islands in this vicinity. A brief visit to Seymour Island did not reveal the wealth of fossil-bearing strata that was expected. Paulette Island was visited, and an interesting circular lake was discovered, lying in a circular range of hills. The banks of the lake bore ample evidences that at one time there had been great volcanic activity at that place, and the lake was evidently formed in the hollow of the extinct crater. The place did not appeal to them as a site for the winter station, and as further journeys revealed another island on the other side of Seymour Island, where there was a beach which appeared to be sheltered from the southward, the point whence the most violent winds blew, it was decided to build the hut there. The Antarctica anchored in the bay opposite the beach, and rapidly unloaded the camp equipment. When everything was almost landed, a movement in the ice at the mouth of the bay compelled the ship to stand out into open water, so the party of six, who were to spend the winter on the island, hastened ashore, where they had their hut to build, and all preparations to make, without any help, which had been counted upon, of the crew of the vessel but this did not weigh heavily upon them and they set to work with a will in the course of a week the antarctica was able to get into the bay again and to land the remaining stores but by that time the hut was up and the adventurous six were almost settled down to their routine work a day or so after landing nordenskjold discovered that the island they were on namely snowhill island was peculiarly interesting from a geological point of view for he found fossils of ammonites, a token of ancient life of the region which alone would have made the expedition memorable. During the first month of their sojourn, the party were fully occupied in organizing their scientific work and in taking the preliminary trips through the island. At an early date they satisfied themselves that Admiralty Bay is a sound, and that the portion of the continent extending to the vicinity was more in the nature of a group of scattered islands, with deep sounds passing between them, than a continuous stretch of mainland. The microscopical examination of the soil revealed the presence of numerous bacteria, while the examination of the waters showed that the lower forms of life were well represented. On the land there were abundance of penguins, seals, and migratory birds, but otherwise there was an absence of the animals found throughout the Arctic regions. On one point they had reason to be dissatisfied with the position selected for the station. At the time the site was chosen, it was believed that they would be well sheltered from the force of the gales. The reverse was found to be the case gales came from the southwest for days together and blew with a velocity that was astounding on one occasion a large bag of fossils left on the steps of the hut was blown yards away 
while on another a barrel of bread was carried off and a whale-boat was lifted over a second boat and flung against a mass of ice a distance of twenty-one yards when the boat was found after the storm had abated it was lying keel upwards with the greater part of one side smashed in the oars thwarts and inside planks were scattered and broken even the zinc plating being stripped off and blown away a curious phenomenon was observed during the progress of these gales the air became saturated with electricity to such an extent that the metal parts of the instruments gave shocks to the fingers when touched while the tips of men's fingers glowed with luminosity when outside the hut in the dark as a similar thing occurs in the sahara during the progress of a simoon or sandstorm it was considered that the amount of electricity was caused by the friction set up by the particles of snow carried along in a never-ending cloud by the gale the rate at which the dry particles of snow moved was tremendous an extra severe gale carrying away the wind gauge it was not possible to keep a complete record of the velocity of the gales but from the records secured it was demonstrated that during the first half of june if the hut had travelled with the same velocity as the wind rushed past it a distance of fourteen thousand nine hundred miles would have been covered or as far as from the hut to sweden and halfway back as winter approached the storms obscured the sky and the sun was not often seen they were not far enough south to lose it altogether and all through the winter they had the benefit of its presence though not for many hours at a time when it did come however it came with great magnificence after a series of storms they saw it rise one morning and the spectacle is described as a gorgeous and beautiful the morning was so clear and bright that i absolutely do not know with what to compare it nordenskjold wrote a faint violet light lay along the horizon and over cockburn island which forms the central point of view from the station the sky gleams with a darker blue and across it float along streamers of ribbon-like clouds which shine and flame in red but ever in the colours there is something pale a paleness which predominates with indescribable delicateness of tone in the tints of the horizon and in the blue and white shades of the stretches of land which contrast so strongly with the dull brown of our immediate neighbourhood and even with the sharply defined ice wall of snow hill at about ten o'clock a glowing spot begins to be visible on the horizon and presaged by a perpendicular pillar of fire there rises what would be the orb of the sun but which in consequence of refraction appears to us to be a broad flaming moving belt of fire on each side of the sun there are two shining intensely rainbow-coloured belts forming parts of a ring which however can be seen but imperfectly the sun rises higher in the heavens and assumes by degrees his ordinary appearance whereupon these accessory phenomena disappear together with the moon whose crescent has been visible in the sky until the last possible moment the winter passed without misfortune and with the approach of spring preparations were made for the first long sledge journey on this and other journeys they succeeded in travelling long distances over what was often heavy ice on two meals a day the first which was the more substantial of the two consisted of pemmican made into a thick porridge-like soup the nutritious qualities of which were felt even as it was being eaten this was followed by coffee meat biscuits butter and sugar 
on such a meal the men existed and travelled all day making no stop until the evening when they had their dinner consisting merely of peas or lentil soup meat chocolate bread butter and sometimes bacon immediately they had eaten this frugal repast they were in their sleeping bags and asleep after climbing the ice ridges which rose along the shores of the mainland they succeeded in reaching the land itself on the eighteenth of october though as only evidence of it was the appearance of some dark-coloured rocks which showed above the ice they were then in fifty six degrees forty eight minutes south and sixty two degrees eleven minutes west this was as far as they penetrated and the rapidity of their movements is shown by the record they set of thirty-eight and a half miles in one day other shorter trips taken over the islands in the vicinity of snow hill island resulted in the discovery of important fossils including the bones of an unknown vertebrate animal some mammoth penguins as well as the leaves of different kinds of pine trees and several ferns these were all regarded as belonging to the tertiary period with the new year of nineteen o three they indulged in festivities not only on account of the season but also in anticipation of the early arrival of the antarctica as they had no idea of spending two winters in succession in the station they had not been rigidly economical with their stores there was no shortage in anything but there was not enough to last them during the second winter on the same scale that they had lived during the first when the days went by and grew into weeks and no ship appeared they began to take note of these things for a time they kept on the lookout and at night would conjecture at what hour on the following day the antarctica would appear and by whom she would first be seen but as the months slipped by and no ship appeared they dropped the subject with one accord and instead of discussing when the vessel would arrive they talked about the best way of spending their second winter at the station the penguin roosts were visited and large numbers of the birds were killed and stored away for winter food while seals were slaughtered to provide food for the dogs and clothing for the men although they never discussed it the idea each man had about the non-arrival of the antarctica was that she had become caught in the ice and so prevented from reaching them until it was too late in the season what had actually occurred never suggested itself after passing the winter as was arranged the antarctica had proceeded to tierra del fuego and south georgia had picked up all the members of the expedition and had steamed away to the south so as to reach the winter station early in january as she advanced however she found the sea so blocked with ice that she could not follow the course she had sailed the previous year when she arrived at hope bay some miles to the north of the station professor anderson and two companions landed with sledges and sufficient provisions to last nine men for two months it was their intention to proceed over the ice to the station while the antarctica steamed away to the west in the hopes of finding an opening through the ice which would enable her to reach the station if on the arrival of the relief party at the station the antarctica had not appeared they were to return with the other six and wait for the ship at hope bay before proceeding over the ice to the station the three built a small stone hut where they stored the greater portion of the stores and with the remainder on their sledges they started on their march but the ice which had been too compact for the ship to penetrate was not compact enough for them to traverse 
delay after delay was caused by leads and channels until it was forced upon them that they would not be able to reach the station until the summer was over and the ice formed solid over the sea as by that time the antarctica ought to have arrived at the station they decided their best course was to return to the depot at home bay and await her advent they did so but no ship appeared and with the end of summer it was clear to them that something had happened either to the ship or at the station and that the only thing left for them to do was to make themselves as comfortable as they could with the limited store of provisions they had with them it was necessary for them to go on short rations at once though the capture of some penguins the shooting of seals and the catching of fish by means of a hook made from a strap buckle and a line of sealskin torn into strips augmented their stock of food and gave them also in the blubber of the seals fuel and light cooped up in their little stone hut which was only built large enough in the first instance as the place to hold their stores they went through the dreary months of winter with a contentment which was the very acme of heroism meanwhile the antarctica had steamed away to the west and then a chance offering itself had stood to the south until she was in the latitude of paulette island she turned to the east heading in the direction of the station on snow hill island when the ice caught her for days she remained in the pack those on board chafing at the delay and trying every device to get her free but the ice was too strong and at last they were forced to admit that they were caught for the winter this was bad enough but there was worse to follow a movement began in the pack and a pressure ridge started directly for the ship it was upon them almost before they realized it and the crash with which she heeled over told its own tale the ice had torn a length of her keel away and had made a hole in her which it was impossible to repair everything that could be got out was thrown on to the ice and the ship's company formed themselves into sledge parties to convey as much as they could to the nearest land this was paulette island where they arrived after an arduous march and at once set to work to construct a shelter for the winter which was now upon them there they stayed within a few miles of the station and of the other party at hope bay but all in ignorance of the proximity of one another and quite unable to communicate with the first sign of approaching spring the men at the station made arrangements to resume their expeditions and complete the survey of the island in their immediate vicinity the first trip was in the direction of hope bay and the party had been out some days when in the dim light one thought he saw an unusual dark patch on the ice in the distance he drew his companion's attention to it but neither cared to trust their eyes as they approached nearer the dark patch resolved itself into the figures of men and a still nearer view revealed two such extraordinary creatures that one of the men from the station thought it would be as well to have a revolver ready in case of emergencies the two figures were in black garments with black caps on their heads and their hands and faces were as black as their clothes while the upper parts of their faces were hidden by curious-looking masks besides them was a sledge with considerable uncertainty the men from the station approached and were not reassured when they were asked in english how they were thanks how are you they replied don't you know us one of the strange-looking creatures asked we're the relief party have you seen the ship then a third figure appeared from behind an ice hammock where he had been preparing a meal 
they were professor anderson and his companions who were on their way for a second time to the station without loss of time the reunited comrades made their way to the station where soap and water and a fresh supply of clothes soon transformed the appearance of the three who had had so trying a time in the little stone hut at hope bay but the situation was still fraught with anxiety now that both parties realized something very serious had happened to the antarctica it was impossible for them to determine whether she had gone to the bottom or had been beset in the ice only one thing was clear and that was that they would all have to stay where they were until some help came to them while they were still debating what chances there were of any coming before another winter went by they were startled one day by the arrival of visitors these proved to be a search party from the argentine cruiser uruguay which the argentine government had dispatched as the antarctica had not returned at her appointed time help had come at a time and from a quarter least expected but the news that the cruiser brought added very much to the fears the explorers entertained as to the safety of the antarctica and her crew if she had been beset some of her company could have reached the station over the ice while it was still compact and if she was still afloat she ought herself to have been able to reach them the absence of all news made the members of the expedition gathered at the station more than uneasy as to the fate of their comrades the morning after the argentine officers arrived one of the men looking out of the hut exclaimed that eight men were coming over the ice under the impression that they were some of the cruiser's crew sent to assist in removing the baggage from the station to the ship he went out to meet them walking slowly as he tried to decide what was to be done if they could not speak any language he knew the others in the hut watching him saw him suddenly leap forward and then turn to them and wave his arms larsen larsen is here they heard him shout with one accord they rushed out after him and in a few moments were eagerly shaking hands with the eight men who were a detachment sent out from the camp on paulette island to ascertain whether the party at the station was still intact or whether it had been rescued the news was sent to the cruiser and soon all the members of the expedition and their baggage were on board and the ship was steaming for paulette island on arrival of the coast no signs of the remainder of the crew of the antarctica were to be seen so the whistle was blown the men at the time were all in the shelter sleeping and the sudden sound of the whistle roused them for the moment they could not believe their ears then one of them looked out and saw the ship and the shout with which he and his companions greeted the sight rang far out over the water professor anderson and his two comrades had left the antarctica on the twenty ninth of december nineteen o two the ship was nipped on the tenth of january nineteen o three and the castaways arrived at paulette island at the end of february they had lived in the shelter they constructed subsisting mostly on penguin until november when the argentine cruiser arrived only one man had died the expedition reached buenos aires on the thirtieth of november nineteen o three having during the time they had been in the antarctic collected a mass of interesting and valuable scientific information End of section twenty